a lot of the the characters that you'll see me draw with like the portraits and stuff kind of end up looking like me and that's a character that i made named terry uh kind of based off of me and like kind of like a childlike version of myself joy and wonders or the good and evils um just trying to capture that feeling of nostalgia or you know that feeling of imagination and kids thinking that anything is possible and and kind of trying to reignite that spark in, in us as, as adults now Hi everyone, it's Sam, NFT Statistics, and today we have Terrell Jones on the podcast. Terrell is a Detroit-based artist whose colorful, narrative-filled work has completely taken off over the past year. It wasn't always easy for him, though. Just a couple of years ago, he was working at a FedEx facility in a pretty remedial job, but when he left that work, he decided that he had to get into NFTs. He got a spot on Foundation, and the first piece he minted sat on Foundation for many months without a bidder. Now, a couple years later, he has pieces on, on Super Rare selling for 15 to 20 ETH, and his open editions, in some cases, have market caps in the hundreds of ETH. He's a forward thinker. As soon as he heard that Manifold would have a burn mechanism, he decided that he was going to launch editions. He also says that none of this success was accomplished on his own and really gives credit to the communities around him, both in terms of the NFT community, but also with tight-knit groups of artists who really support each other and help each other get success in this space. We talk about his journey from working at FedEx to being near the top of the game, tips for up and coming artists, and a whole lot more in this conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed getting to know Terrell. Terrell Jones, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So your work has just these great colors. It's really colorful and fun, but then there are also tons of devils and skeletons in, in a <laughs> lot of your work. What, what are you... Uh, what are you trying to do with your work? What's the, what, what's the narrative behind it? How did you kind of come to this? Um, I think for me, uh, a lot of where my artwork is coming from now is coming from a place of inspiration. Um, so when I was doing more of those like portraiture type of like, uh, you know, like the children looking ones, uh, that's when I was like super inspired by this artist named Hikari Shimoda. And um, that's kind of where those ones kind of stemmed from. Um, but yeah, I think with me, I don't ever try to make anything that looks too scary or anything. I think that, uh, you know, I always want to have, even if I do have darker themes, you know, like what you said with the devils or the skulls and stuff, I still want it to be kind of like cool or um, palatable or, you know, I don't ever want it to look too scary or, you know, I don't ever want it to look too like gory or any of that type of stuff. You know, I, I just want it to kind of look, um, like you said, like vibrant and lively and, and all those things. It does feel like in our industry, like in NFTs, like death and skeletons and devils and maybe it's because XCopy is such a huge influence on so many people's work. It, it does feel like those symbols do show up in NFTs a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like that yours has at least, I like that yours has a playful, more fun version going on with it though. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel you with that. Cause like, um, you know, some people are like, They'll talk about how, you know, so many people do, you know, the skulls or the skeletons and all that. But, um, yeah, me, I, I never try to act like I was the first person to ever make a skeleton. Like, <laughs> obviously, people have been doing that in art for, you know, m millenniums. Uh, so I, I just try to put my own narrative and my own stories into it, you know. For sure. So, so your, most recent, your most recent project 
that, that, that I feel has been in the attention the most is evil in color. Uh, do yep. you want to tell us a little bit about that? Who are the characters and what's kind of the narrative you're trying to put together there? Yeah, so that one had pretty much stemmed from this other collection I had called uh, Good and Evil. And with Good and Evil, uh, that was the one with the character and then they would have like the devil and the angel on the shoulders or some people would or some pieces would only have like the devil or all those types of things. But um, yeah, that one, I, I wanted to kind of bring the characters off of the shoulders and tell different stories that I didn't think needed a, a necessarily a, a character in the middle. Um, so that's where Evil and Color had kind of stemmed from. And then from there, uh, I'd really gotten inspired by artists like um, David Hockney, uh, Hiroshi Nagai, um, Edward Hopper, and, you know, a bunch of these different artists that had really cool scenes and different narratives and stuff. And I, I really wanted to try to tackle that type of stuff in terms of like, you know, landscapes and, you know, bigger scenes that weren't just going to happen on someone's shoulders. So that was a big inspiration behind it. And another one really was, um, you know, I always get people saying like, oh, that reminds me of like Pulp Fiction or that reminds me of, you know, Goodfellas. And it, it, it definitely inspired by a lot of those old gangster films, whether that's Goodfellas, Scarface, uh, Godfather, uh, you know, Sopranos, all those types of uh, stories and stuff that were um, really, I, I was super drawn to them. Um, I just really like that kind of sense of, um, I don't know a good word for it, but like camaraderie and like that, like family vibe. So um, that's really where my characters kind of stem from. Who and, are these characters? Who, who, yeah. who are like, I'm, I'm, I have, I have a, a nine of the pieces pulled up kind of from super rare. Like mm -hmm. who are these different characters and how, how does this whole, actually, why don't we start with that? Yeah. Who, who are the characters in, in, uh, in this, in these pieces? Yeah. So uh, uh, firstly, I would say that Damon uh, DeVille, I would say that he's kind of the, um, leader of the DeVille crime family. Um, and that's the one that's usually uh, kind of cool, calm and collected on the pieces, uh, like the red character that's usually like without the shades. Um, so in, in this one that you're pulling out Fancy Thieves, he'd be the one on the far left. Um, and yeah, like I said, he's kind of like the Michael Corleone or, you know, the Tony Soprano, you know, kind of like the leader of, of the crime family in a sense. And then um, I would say next is like Skelliot. Uh, Deville, and he's the one that uh, is a skeleton, and I'd say that he's more so like the wild card of the bunch. Uh, you know, if if, so, if there's a hit to be had, you know, he's going to be the one to handle it. Um, you know, if there's something that you, you're going to think like, "Hey, no, don't do that," like he's probably going to be the one that you're kind of stopping from doing that. Um, and then you have Turbo, and basically Turbo and Damon are brothers. Um, Turbo is the one with the shades. And he's usually the one that's kind of like the almost like the no fun guy. Um, you know, he's, he's very much the person that is, you know, <laughs> everyone's having a lot of fun in the party. He's off in the corner, just silent and, you know, probably arms folded. Um, and yeah, th this is him on the, the turbo piece. Um, and yeah, like I said, he, he's, he's like the very uh, like calculated and very um, almost too calm and collected uh, <laughs> To a point where he's he's like no fun. <laughs> and when you're when you were making this collection, and I only have the one of ones up, I do want to talk about how it fits with the additions because I think yeah. that's just like a super interesting uh, interplay and very topical to you know what's happened in January so far. But w when you were thinking about this, how did you have a bunch of scenes in your mind? Did you have a whole story that was put together, and you're like, okay, here's a story, and I'm just going to make them, or did you just start drawing and kind of see what happened? 
Um, it's kind of the drawing and see what happened thing. Uh, I think I really started with the scenes with the gamble with your life piece. Um, the turbo piece that came before that, but even when I had did turbo, that initially had started off as a piece that was based on Damon, but I had made it look so different from Damon in that sense that I was kind of just like, this can be another character that can kind of just be related to the, the, the you know, Damon, but not, not necessarily Damon himself. So that's where turbo had came from. And like I said, when I was making gamble with your life, I had kind of made that scene and wanted it to be, you know, that way. And from then on, it was kind of like, okay, I can make a bunch of different scenes like this. Like, like I said, how I was inspired by, you know, those old gangster films and, and um, TV shows. There was a lot of different scenes and stuff that I kind of saw in my head that would kind of still look cool in an artistic sense, but would still be, you know, kind of cool in, in this way as well. So I think that that's kind of where that like kind of stemmed from. Yeah, and do, do you plan to kind of expand the narrative at all? Have like written work about these characters or expand it further? Or what's kind of the future plan for this, this group of characters? Yeah, that, that's a big thing that I've tried to, uh, kind of tried to been uh, working on. Um, just with me knowing so much lore and, you know, really only being able to tell that or expand on that and, you know, the descriptions or just the different things that are happening in the pieces and, and stuff. So, you know, I'll have people trying to piece together these things, you know, just like, um, you know, on their own. And, and I, I feel like I can kind of help them with it a little bit because, like I said, I, I know a whole lore. So um, I'm trying to find the, the best way to uh, do that, whether that's, a, you know, a small, you know, animated series or maybe comics or like you said, some written work on it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like the next step. Do you feel like your collectors understand it in the way you want them to? Like, do you feel like they're interacting with th this work the way that it's interacting in your head? I think they understand it enough. I think that even on the surface level, if you see some of these pieces with no context of the other pieces, you can kind of get what's going on. Um, and I've even seen people kind of come to me with only having being introduced to me through certain pieces. They'll They'll kind of understand it, even if they don't understand like the whole, like I said, the, the lore that, you know, they're all like related and, you know, this person is like this and this person is like that. In uh, a lot of the pieces, you can kind of tell people's personality traits, even just a little bit. So I think that it can kind of connect with people on a service level. And um, but I, I definitely do want to connect with them a little bit more. But I think that they're in a good place right now. Good enough. Was this a new concept for you? Because when I look back at your older work, it's a lot of that. Um... Yeah, it's it's a lot more kind of like I wouldn't say portraiture, but kind of like cartoons of heads and a lot of the boys' themes, and you know, it, it feels like it's much, it's a little bit more literal. Whereas here, it feels like this narrative theme is quite new for you, relative to your prior yeah, work. Definitely, um, just a little background on me. Uh, I kind of come from an artistic family in a sense, and my aunt is a very talented portrait artist. So she was one of the first people I'd ever seen, you know, draw something that was like. You know, I, I would go over to her house and she'd have like 20 different pictures of celebrities like that she had drawn. And they were like these giant drawings. And like I said, that was kind of my first, you know, introduction to people drawing that well. So uh, with that, you know, she would always every time I saw her, she would have like a, an art book for me or a sketchbook or, you know, a pack of markers or all these different things to try to kind of help me with my artistic journey. And I think with her, you know, giving me different tips and tricks and all th those types of things, I kind of started off as a portrait artist. And that was kind of the only thing that I knew how to draw well. 
um, starting off. So I think that once I had even, you know, came up with collections like uh, Joy and Wonder or, you know, the, the Good and Evil one, I think that the portrait thing kind of still, you know, came through. Uh, and um, it's definitely new for me to do these things with evil and color, especially like landscapes and stuff. But even just like having like full body of characters and stuff, that's, that's definitely pretty new. And then um, just having a whole narrative, you know, over, I don't know how many evil and color pieces there are at this point, maybe 20-ish, give or take. And um, that's even new for me to kind of have a, a narrative continue on from that, you know, that long. Did you have other teachers in your life or, or was your aunt your main teacher? I, I mean, I've heard you talk about how as a kid you would you would uh, just draw on the walls and you were just always <laughs> someone who like people just knew like Terrell is the art guy. Uh, but who who are the big teachers in your life that kind of or, or was it all was it all your family? Um, I would say that my aunt was definitely the biggest one. Um, and I was kind of self-taught in a sense. But, you know, we always have those art teachers and, you know, um, I, I definitely am grateful for those. You know, art was always like my favorite class in school, so I'm, I'm grateful for them. But uh, a, a lot of what I did do was kind of coming from self-taught. And, um, you know, sometimes like my, my friends would bring uh, like I could remember my friend in second grade, uh, Anthony. He would bring these like Dragon Ball Z drawing books to school. And I remember us always just like flipping to, you know, like the finished pieces that we would try to do. So, uh, you know, there would always be like those uh, different like how to draw manga or how to draw, you know, whatever else, uh, art books that I would kind of like rent from the library or get from friends and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever really like, I never used them. Right. I never like used the, the correct techniques, but, um, yeah, like I said, I, I think that my aunt would probably be the biggest artist, like, uh, inspiration and teacher early on and definitely school teachers as well. But yeah, I, I think that my aunt was the biggest. So what were kind of the steps between going from having learned art through friends and teachers in school and your, and your aunt uh, to getting to where you are now? Like, what, when did you start doing it professionally? What, what were those next steps? Um, I think that uh, a big next step for me was probably in maybe late middle school or early high school, um, just getting paid for art period. Uh, at that time, I was probably doing like, little character designs for people for like five bucks or uh, i remember doing like t-shirt designs for some people for you know like i said like 10 15 bucks or something but um that was definitely a big step and then um later on in high school i started to be involved with different you know smaller galleries you know here and there some would be like at the school some would be like you know maybe like a mile from the school and they'd be like um you know, just little galleries and like art centers locally. And that was definitely a big step just to see my art on walls and halls and different stuff uh, of that nature. It was just cool. And even there was this um, event that was a gallery, but also an auction and like a gala. Um, and I want to say I was in either junior year or senior year in high school. And um, that was big as well, just to have people buying my art kind of on that level, um, of people like, you know, actually like auctioning my art. And that was like the first time that my art was actually like auctioned and, and all that. So, 
Um, so that, that was first big... time, I'm sorry, that first time it was more like utility. Like people were paying you to serve a function, like draw a wedding invitation or draw yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, who knows what? <laughs> and then that second time was, wow, people actually just want to buy my art and put it on their walls and own it for the sake of art. A hundred percent. Yeah. That was definitely cool. At the time, I definitely signed a bad contract. I think I was only making like 25% on those. <laughs> so I, I don't know that that part of the experience was great, but um, it was still just cool to, like I said, have people bid on my art and, and, and do those types of things, actually have them in like their offices or their homes and stuff. And, and when did uh, NFTs enter the picture? That was way later on. So I graduated high school in 2015. And um, after that, I had gotten to shoe design. Uh, because during high school, I wanted to go to like art school or design school after it. And um, with that, you know, people would always tell me that there's no jobs in art. So um, shoe design was definitely one that I knew actually was a job that would actually include me, you know, drawing with it. So that was one that I was kind of pursuing. And with that, I was doing different workshops and events where, um, you know, it would be like a group of artists and we would all just come together and really just start to learn about that shoe design world. Um, I remember three in particular. Uh, the first would be uh, this Puma one that I had did with Big Sean's foundation. And um, the next one was a Puma one with Pencil Academy, which is like the school design uh, or the shoe design school, um, kind of local here now. Uh, it wasn't local at the time, but um, the last one I had did was an internship with New Balance in 2020. Uh, that I would spend like three weeks in Boston uh, at like their, like, I want to say it was their headquarters. Um, and that was super cool and a super cool experience. It was like me and like 25 other artists. And um, one of the artists that I had met at one of those previous shoe design uh, workshops, um, we got really like familiar on Instagram. And um, I don't know how he found out about NFTs. I don't know how I found out about NFTs, but at some point, we both recognized that we both wanted to get into NFTs. And at the time we both wanted to get onto foundation and we pretty much told each other that um, one of us is going to find our way on there somehow. And uh, how, however we find our way on there, um, we're going to help the other person get on. So I think that he had eventually bought an invite on like discord or something like some super DJ and like, I think he bought it at like one ETH or something. And with that, I was like instantly like, Hey, you know, how I get my invite. And he had told me that he needed to sell a piece on foundation before he was able to give an invite. So I was like, hey, please mint. Like I would go buy it right now, just like mint. So uh, at a certain point he had minted that piece and I had ended up buying that piece. And I think I had probably minted that same day. Um, and uh, at that time I, I didn't realize, cause like I said, I was with uh, him just talking on Instagram. Uh, mostly. And I didn't realize that I needed to have like a whole Twitter community and like a collector base and, you know, probably friends with other artists. Like I was friends with artists and like Instagram and stuff, but I didn't realize that there was a whole Twitter world of, of art. So um, that piece had sat for months. And uh, later on, that was March in 2021. And what was that piece called? Uh, Margaret. All right. Let's see if we can find it. Yeah, that'll be like at, at the bottom. <laughs> there she is. Yeah. This. And you know, it, it looks a lot actually like the Pepe Kondo piece. I see some kind of similarity there. Yeah, no, that that, that was a, an homage to that piece. Um, Amazing. But, but yeah, I appreciate it. But yeah, no, the, the biggest inspiration for me at that time was George Kondo. And um, so, yeah, a lot of the stuff I was doing was ending up looking like his stuff. 
because uh, at that time I, I didn't really realize or not not to say I didn't realize, but I don't think I had a real story to tell uh, on my own at the time. Um, a lot of the stuff I was doing was just kind of not to say copies of stuff that I was into, but it was kind of just bringing more stuff that I wanted to see into the world. So, um, you know, a lot of the stuff had looked like George Kondo pieces or Freddie Carrasco or artists like that. Um, but yeah, uh, later on in that year of 2021, uh, in May, I ended up quitting my job that I had for a few years and, um, I really just wanted to focus on art uh, with with quitting. I, I I was at FedEx and um, at the time they definitely weren't like <laughs> respecting us. I didn't feel and my time was only being spent, you know, stacking up packages and, and all that. And any time that I did have to myself, I was kind of just exhausted from work. So, um, so you I, knew you were doing that work and you knew there was an opportunity. Did you know there was an opportunity with NFTs at that point? Uh, at that point, no, I, I still hadn't sold my, my first piece. So I didn't know that I would be, you know, able to make, you know, a living doing NFTs. At the time, I was thinking of doing like, you know, going harder with my print shop or, you know, getting higher paid commissions. At the time, I was doing like, you know, little stuff here and there for like $50, $100, $200. And is um, that 2020, 2021? Uh, yeah, 2021. And yeah, pretty much through um, like, 2017 through like 2021 was just a, a lot of commission work. Uh, just me pretty much taking anything I could at the time, you know, like I said, like you had mentioned, like wedding brochures, I probably did one of those, uh, yeah. you know, business cards, album covers, song covers, uh, t-shirt designs, pretty much, like I said, anything that people would pay me for, I would be like, okay, yeah, pretty much like <laughs> if I don't even know how to do it, I'll, I'll figure it out. And, and how long did this Margaret piece sit on foundation for? Uh, I want to say around four to five months. For uh, and what 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 price were you asking for it? Um, initially, uh, when I had first posted, I think it was at point five. Um, but once I had got uh, acclimated into the NFT space and actually kind of saw what things were selling at, and you know the easier ways, you know, once you lower it down, uh, it can kind of get you know popped off easier. Um, I think I lowered it down to point one, and then it had ended up selling at point one five. Okay. So once you, you quit your work, you're kind of doing more of this commission work. When did things start to click? Um, I think once I had like started to actually take art serious, uh, I had started to post on Twitter more. I had started to actually start to put narratives into my art. So that's when you get pieces like fresh off the lot and, um, a happy place. Uh, it was really just me kind of putting more, like I said, narratives and stories into the art and having my art be more than just looking cool. Um, so, yeah. And I think that I had made the, the joy piece around that time as well. Um, so you went from kind of doing, you know, this inspired work by guys like George Kondo to yeah. bu building your own collections, you know, and, that it, it, and did it start with kind of those boy portraits that feels like a recurring theme in your early work? Um, no, those came a little bit later. So if you go back to the foundation, um, that piece with the pink background um, at the, yeah, that one with the pink background was called Joy. And um, people just got really like, I, I saw that there was a lot of connections to people 
uh, whether that be like nostalgia or um, any of those types of things where I really wanted my art to connect with people in a deeper level. Um, I know with, you know, this digital age where you can see probably a thousand pieces of art a day, you know, some days. I, I, I wanted to be able to stick with people longer than just like, you know, passing by. I wanted people to be able to link their my art to different times in their life and all those types of things. So with that piece, Joy, I was really just trying to capture that feeling of, uh, you know, like a Halloween or like a holiday, just, you know, having that joy and just that nostalgic feeling of just like being excited as a kid for like, I know for me, Halloween and Christmas, like, I probably wasn't sleeping like that whole week of those holidays, just being so excited for that. So I was really just trying to capture that feeling with that piece. And it really resonated with a lot of people. So with that, I wanted to kind of take that and kind of put my own like self into it. So like a lot of the the characters that you'll see me draw with like the portraits and stuff kind of end up looking like me. And that's a character that I made named Terry uh, kind of based off of me and like, kind of like a childlike version of myself and yeah that that character and um yeah like i said that was a big part of 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 those like joy and wonders or the good and evils um just trying to capture that feeling of nostalgia or you know that feeling of imagination and kids thinking that anything is possible and and kind of trying to reignite that spark in, in us as, as adults now yeah, you, you say in your in your super bio, I think you say that introspection actually inspires a lot of your work. Uh, say a little bit more about that. Like, how, how how does the introspection kind of find its way? And do you think it still does in these new pieces, or is this more speaking of this era where kind of this self portrait of you as a younger person uh, was was your look and feel? Yeah, I think it it definitely kind of shines through more on those. Uh, you know, the good, the joy and wonders, and the good and evil. So, you know, like with the space boy pieces that you have there. Um, you know, especially like liftoff, like I remember times when I was a kid um, and me and my brothers and sisters would just be like digging through the recycling bin after like watching cartoons that Saturday morning. And we would just like take a bunch of, of the cardboard, you know, whether it's like the toilet paper rolls or the cereal boxes and all those types of things. And we would just make like our own little costumes or, you know, build cardboard forts and all that type of stuff. So. Um, liftoff was definitely like a, a piece that kind of like drew directly from my childhood and just like making, you know, a card cardboard spaceship. And it's like a super sim- simple concept, but, you know, I've had so many people come up to me, you know, after making that and just like, oh yeah, like I remember making our own, you know, spaceships or cardboard forts or, you know, our own cardboard outfits and all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely tried to like, for me, Taking like those types of things uh, from my past or my childhood and all those types of things, um, especially like with the joy piece and just knowing that that feeling came from that, um, it was kind of big for me to just know that so many other people kind of lived the same childhood in a sense, even if it was different in these different parts. Um, I know that like there's certain things that we can all kind of connect on in certain ways. So that was a big part of, uh, you know, those early pieces. Now, I would say that I still kind of have parts of myself in my newer work, but it's kind of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know just by seeing. Um, Like, I would say that, like, because people kind of ask me, like, you know, which which member of the DeVilles are you? And 
for me, I, I kind of feel like there's parts of myself that are in all of them. You know, like I could kind of feel like I'm kind of that person, like with my arms folded and like mean mugging in a party uh, like Turbo. But, you know, that's not me necessarily all the time. Sometimes I feel like I'm a cool guy like Damon or, you know, sometimes I feel like I could be a wild card like Skelliot. So um, or like even just in my like newest piece, Crash, uh, like I have a Lamborghini Diablo on fire and that's like my favorite car of all time so there's kind of some nods you know just from myself in in all of my work i would say for sure now one, one of the one of my favorite quotes from another podcast of yours i listened to was you said uh just give me the audience and i'll do the rest <laughs> you know is when you're getting started i think a lot of people feel that like they're starting they got their foundation piece on foundation sitting there for four months and they know that they have the talent or whatever, but it's it's just about getting that audience. Now, now you got yourself your own audience, and you did that all by yourself. <laughs> no one helped you; that was all you. So, I'm 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 curious, what was that process like? What was the the process of going from trying to get that 0.5 ETH buyer on foundation to being where you are now with pieces selling for 17 ETH on super on super rare and and whatnot. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't credit myself with all of that. I would say that. Oh, my um, bad, my bad. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. Uh, I would say even just going off of that, um, having a community is a very big thing. Um, even if that's just like you and your friends just making a group chat and just sharing art with each other, sharing whips, uh, work in progresses with each other and all those types of things. I think that that was a big part of my journey. Um, just having a bunch of people to kind of keep you honest and keep you going. and I know that, you know, a lot of my friends will tell me like, oh, like just seeing you work that hard kind of inspired me. They inspire me in the same way. Just just seeing people work and just knowing like, ah, like they're 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 doing this and doing that and they're getting better. I need to get better. And all those types of things definitely pushed me um, in terms of just going from, you know, where I started off when I first got into foundation until where I got now. Um, I think a big piece is consistency. Um, you know, even through like the bear or how many different bears we've had, <laughs> um, I, I've, I've never left. Like I've always been here. I've always been like on Twitter spaces. Um, and I've always stayed making art. Um, you know, even when I had like a lot of pieces sitting, um, and you know, whether that be like on super rare foundation or, um, known origin, uh, you know, a big thing was just keep keeping on working on art. Um, and not necessarily just using all my time focusing on, selling the pieces that are available. Um, I tell artists this all the time, like having a lot of pieces and not necessarily knowing how to market them yet, that's probably the best position you could be in. Because um, once you do figure out how to market or how to promote, or once you do get you know one collector that turns into two collectors, it turns into four, or however you, know, you do it, that, that'll be the best thing for you to just have those pieces ready because like, when I had first got on the foundation, probably the first, I don't know, maybe seven or eight pieces that I had sold were stuff that I had already done back, like dating back to like 2018-ish um, that I was just already had before, you know, I was in the space. And, you know, I always tell people this, like us artists, especially like digital artists, you know, before NFTs, we were getting paid and in, in likes and retweets. So we kind of have a catalog once we get into nfts of just stuff that we already have that we've never been paid for necessarily when you talk about community i mean a lot of people talk about community you think of like 
you know, the doodles and all the doodles holders or, or whatever it is, but you're <laughs> yeah. talking about a community of artists, right? Where you're out there yeah. supporting each other. You're out there working 100%. with each other, advising each other. I, and I see that in your work a lot. I see you constantly supporting other artists. Do you, you have a, you have a core group, right? What, what, what's the dynamic like? Um, yeah, I have a core group. We, we call ourselves the family. Um, and that's really what the dynamic is. It, it really is like a family. Um, so like in there, you have people like Roz, uh, Roswell, uh, people don't know him, um, Goliath, uh, Serena, uh, Nyaverse, um, Yagami, Cliff Ballin, um, Irfans, uh, Lanum. like there's, a, there's a bunch of these different artists that, you know, and how do you all connect? Are you in like a telegram group or something like that? Or how uh, you... we're in a Twitter, uh, Twitter group chat and we literally used to like, <laughs> people always come up to me, especially like, uh, even like this past week when I was at the super chief event. Uh, people would just come up to me and be like, oh, I remember like being in your Twitter spaces up until like 7 a.m. And it was just like seven of you guys and you guys would just like be talking and laughing. And that's pretty much what it was like a lot of the early times with them. It was just spent in like Twitter spaces up until like 9 a.m., you know, from like 9 p.m. to like 9 a.m. Just us talking and laughing and connecting on different art or a lot of times really people would come from these different like super alpha or degen uh twitter spaces and just come to ours to just chill because ours would be one of the only twitter spaces where we're not like talking about floor prices or all these like nft things like we would have like little nft talks or art talks or anything like that but a lot of it would just be about life or about movies or shows or you know anything music you know just really connecting with people on like a people level and not necessarily being the super degen uh twitter spaces it, it does feel because so much of our of our industry is based on Twitter and so much of Twitter is about people helping you, you know, talking about your work or retweeting your stuff. It does feel like forming those relationships and giving. I find so many of the best artists are constantly tweeting other people's work, are constantly talking about how great other people are, because it is just this is just one of those places where you really cannot put enough praise on other people and it all comes 100%. full circle. A hundred percent. Yeah. And even just like me. Now I'm thankful that I'm in a position where, you know, me shouting someone out or me talking about someone's art can actually do something for them. It can actually move a piece for them or, you know, sell out a collection for them and all those things. Uh, but yeah, like I've been doing this this whole time, even when, you know, people didn't really care what I was talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a lover of art at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm not doing it for charity. I always tell people like they'll be like oh, Terrell, thank you so much. You know, the, that shout out got me this or got me that. And I'm like, that's cool. And that's awesome. But like, I, I didn't buy your piece because, you know, I wanted to do that for you necessarily. I bought it because it's good art. And I just like to buy good art and promote good art and, you know, champion good art in this space. You know, a for lot sure. of the times early on, uh, <laughs> good art wasn't necessarily championed as much as it is now. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be part of that change uh, to, to get it there. And, and was there a tipping point, like uh, a piece you sold or a person who who bought your work? Like I've talked to people who said that Cosimo buying their piece just changed everything, you know, and suddenly there was so much more attention or you put out a tweet that goes viral and people start suddenly following you. Did you have a moment like that that just kind of put you at, at a different level? Um, I would say if, if I were to have a, a moment like that, it would probably be uh, VVD buying my uh, birthday boy piece uh, through Starry Night Capital. Um, that was definitely like super big. Uh, at the time, I think that it had matched 
uh, an all-time high that I had. Uh, that was like three ETH at the time. Um, but yeah, that was like super big. Uh, he was definitely a collector that I look up to and was looking up to at that time. Um, and just with, with that time was just super uh, euphoric. That's like the uh, edition, uh, the bitter edition. <laughs> One of the first bitter editions that, uh, well, the first bitter edition I did. And I was like, I want to say that was um, November 2021. But yeah. Um, so, so, just, so this, but like a different version that he got. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's like the, the shirt is a different color and like the table is a different color. The, the shirt is red and like the table is like. Um, got it. The gray. Yeah. But um, yeah, just him being an, uh, a collector that I looked up to and that a lot of other people looked up to. It definitely got a lot of different eyes on me. But um, I would say that I kind of had a lot of or not to say a lot, but I've, I've had multiple of those moments, I would say. Um, and I would say that Vince <laughs> was a part of, uh, you know, a, a few of them. Um, once I had actually sold out, because I had pieces sitting on my Super Rare Forever. So um, eventually, once he had bought, like, Gamble With Your Life, I think he had came back and swooped up, like, the last couple of unsold pieces on my Super Rare. Um, that and were, how did think, he connect with your work originally? I'm not sure. I think initially... Um, <laughs> I did this thing that was called because uh, I, I I got this thing called like hard shell taco, and that's like when you're like going super hard and like that's when you like seeing someone post their piece like forty times in a day to a number of different you know ads or you know that's when you get a random person in your DMs that has never talked to you before and then it's just instantly like a foundation link. Um, but yeah, and then I had this thing called the soft shell taco that I would do where. I'm not going to necessarily like throw my art at you. I'm just going to have you kind of like stumble on it, you know, purposefully, you know. So um, I think at the time I had did a piece for he had this um, clone X. Uh, I want to say it was 17 0 77 or something like that. I forget what the number was, but he had this clone and he would have people do a bunch of derivatives of it and they would mint it on foundation. And I had ended up doing one of those. And I think that had caught his uh, attention. And then also for the... Who, whose clone was it? Whose clone uh, was it? It's, it's VVDs, basically. Oh, and, oh VVD. Okay, my bad. Yeah. And he wasn't supposed to basically sell derivatives of it, but he was kind of like going against the system. So that was like a big part of that. It's <laughs> NFTs. It's NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that and then also with his uh, Tungsten DAO, um, I had drew this picture of... Um, uh mark zuckerberg as like a super villain basically and he was holding like a tungsten cube in his hand and that kind of caught the attention of him as well so uh so yeah that was in your life and then just brought yeah it, it is wild how there are like a handful of collectors who uh, who, who just command so much attention and, and interest in what they do um you, you touched on something interesting and it kind of rem uh, of having this bitters work and it reminds me of something that grant yoon said which is that he said that when he was uh if anyone ever bids on his work on super rare but doesn't win he always dms them because he's mm -hmm. like this person this person's hit on me you know like and i want to make sure they know i like that you know I'm, I'm not i'm not rejecting them they want my work and i'm gonna i'm gonna embrace that and go after that relationship is that what you did here with this bidders collection like if you bid i'm gonna give you something else or how, yeah say more about that about what a bitter what a bidders collection is yeah yeah so that's the the, the bitter edition um that was the first bitter edition i did um i think at the time i was inspired by people like tori bryant and 
I forget who else. There was another person that had did it before me. So I don't want to take credit for it. Like I was the first to ever do a bitter edition. But at the time, it definitely wasn't popular. And it was just something that I had saw them do. And I just thought it was really cool to kind of have a gamification and kind of like an incentivization to bid on your work. So, yeah, pretty much anyone that had bid it on that initial birthday boy piece uh, was able to get this birthday boy uh, crusader edition. And at the time, like people, I, I tell people now, artists now that like have come out like recently, I'm like, you guys got it so easy with like the additions and like sending people the additions. When I had did this, I had sent, I think it was around 20 additions and I probably paid like $70 a pop just to send them off. So yeah, like I, I gave away like a lot of the money I had made for the piece just to send people this piece, but um <laughs> like the get you just mean like gas was so expensive back then yeah yeah the gas yeah, was right. insane it's crazy just thinking back to like peak bull market and the way we threw money gosh. Like, oh my gosh it's uh, just like and it was probably, only a year ago it wasn't that long ago this isn't like us sitting around talking about 19 you know 85 yes. or whatever <laughs> um anyways I, I, one thing i really wanted to talk to you about and kind of follows through on this idea of the bitter edition is just editions in general because you were dropping them and releasing them in september obviously we're in this mode right now where editions are, are such a thing but you have you know in the evil in color uh work you have both the one of ones as well as the additions and what are you seeing as the interplay there what's your what's your goal there and what are you trying to do with the additions yeah a big reason why i had even like initially got into or back into the addition place or space um i thought that it was so cool i would always go into a collector like this was during like the like the the bear like the bear bear like the bearish bear like this is like the, <laughs> nothing the bear was spare selling. Of the past year. <laughs> yeah. Nothing was selling. Nothing was moving for me. Um, and this is the time like I'm literally following any collector I see on like the super rare bot. I'm following anyone. You know, it's always people like, oh, I'm going to keep my followers below like 700. I'm like, I don't care. I will make it go up to like 20,000. I don't care. I'm going to follow anyone that's buying art right now. I'm just going to follow them. I'm going to like study what they're doing. So with that and going into different collectors galleries, whether that's like the Deca art or, you know, the on cyber, I would always see like them have like their own little, like the one of ones that they would collect, but I would see little pieces here and there that were additions. Uh, I can think back to like, um, I think some definitely like the grant piece, but also like, uh, Dustin had this one piece that was just like every collector I had went into their gallery, his piece would be there. And, that had really started to turn some gears in my head where it was just like there could be art that is of the same quality or, you know, even better than like one of ones. And it can be and live in so many different other people's wallets. It doesn't just have to be a one of one existing in one person's wallet. You know, you can have a piece that's great exist in so many different galleries and uh, wallets. So that was a big reason why I had kind of um, started to make a focus into having additions, you know, whether that be like the bitter additions that you were talking about or, you know, additions that I'm actually just releasing. So that was a big reason why. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, like I said, I think that it's so cool to have, for me, going back to like, you know, 2021 when I had gotten to this space or, you know, later that year when, you know, everything's so euphoric, I thought that it was cool to have like, you know, different communities for these different NFT projects and stuff. But uh, I never really wanted to do, I wanted to do a PFP at one point, but yeah, seeing how 
people that were doing it at that time were treated and how, you know, people, you know, go so hard uh, on them, you know, in terms of like the floor or, you know, they're always like win utility or win this or win that. Uh, that always kind of like pushed me away from it, you know, at the same time. So, but I always thought that having a whole community of people that were all focused on this one thing was so cool. So I think that doing additions and having people, you know, I don't know how many people have uh, Born to Die right now, maybe like 800-ish. But yeah, having that many different people having that one piece and kind of all being connected through that was always, always so cool to me. But yeah, please, I mean, please. it is pretty wild. I, w- I was looking over the numbers before before this conversation and each, you know, those additions, like I think your, your top one of one was some like 17 or 18 ETH, right? Yeah. So then um, I'm looking right at- Right now, uh, 24.9. Oh, my yeah. bad. No, yeah, so you've had a so you've had a twenty five a twenty five ETH. Let's just call it one of one sale. But these additions, their market caps are, are fifty to two hundred ETH. Like there's so much more ETH and tied up into the additions. You know what? And what you were just saying kind of gives me a sense of it. It's like maybe it's part of it is that you have this marketing engine. You know, and that's like what makes PFP so good. You have in some of these cases, you have hundreds of people who want the value to go up. You know, and I think we think of supply often as a negative, but it does feel like, and I'm still figuring this out myself. But it feels like in your case. You're getting a lot more value. You're getting, you're actually just literally a lot more ETH out of some of these additions than than a one of one sale. A hundred percent, yeah. And even just what you said with like people posting it and stuff. Like, I wake up every morning to probably like I don't know how many different GM posts of you know whether that be Born to Die or the Getaway or Doubles or you know whichever piece. And it's it's just so many different people that are just like, hey, I have this piece. You know, g- good morning. This is Born to Die by Terrell. It's almost like having marketers for your, for yourself and so many different people being introduced to you through, you know, this other person that has the, that same piece, you know. For sure. For sure. Now, you did you did a little bit of gamification here, right? Like there's the born to die piece and that can yeah. kind of get you some of these other NFTs. Is, what's the mechanic? Yeah. So uh, when I was making born to die, uh, that idea kind of stemmed from me just hearing little whispers here and there about. Uh, manifold coming out with a burn mechanism. And this was back in like September last year. Um, and I was just like, I was busy with other stuff at the time, but I was always just trying to keep it in the back of my head. Like, hey, once, you know, they actually do this, you want to have a piece ready because I, I wanted to take advantage of that mechanism. And um, just when I heard a burn mechanism, I just thought instantly of like sacrifice, sacrificial lamb. And I was just like, okay, Let's just do a piece like that. You know, someone burns a piece and they're able to get like another piece. I was like, boom. Okay. So yeah, just make that piece. I think initially I had started off with it being Damon holding like a lamb. And then I was like, okay, I don't want people to attack me because I'm going to have them like burn a lamb. I was like, okay, let me make it a mechanical lamb. And then at a certain point, I was like, wait, it would be way cooler if it's Skelliot just from like the, the dead angle. And then also um, I was like, since they're like technically burning money, I was like, let me like have it be an origami dollar lamb. So um, that's kind of where that had all stemmed from. But yeah, with the gamification, I thought that it would be so cool. Because like I said, initially, it was just going to be you burning this piece to get another piece. But at that point, I was like, that's kind of just like a coupon. Or I'm like, that's like getting an addition with more steps. So I was like, how about I have them burn it for like multiple pieces at multiple different times? And they're not going to know what the next piece is until, you know, they're not able to burn it for the first one. and you know, you're going to be able to get different, you know, airdrops or different exclusive drops just from holding this piece. So that's kind of where that had stemmed from. Um, I just thought that it was it was going to be so cool. And 
also I, I wanted people to want to have to have like so many different born to die so i didn't want them to only get one and be like okay i'm gonna be fine with this one i wanted them to be like okay i'm gonna need like maybe three or four like i'm not gonna want to burn this one because i want to keep this as an art piece um is there still incentive is there incentive now to own a lot of them um yeah there's definitely gonna be there's a burn that's going on right now i don't know if it's gonna be going on when this goes up but (laughs) there's a burn uh burn two is going on right now um and then burn three is coming up and I might do a burn after that, but that's unconfirmed. I don't want people to expect that. But uh, burn three is going to be a two for one. So you're going to have to burn two born to dies in order to get another piece. Um, and what was what's born to uh, burn two right now? That This is that crash piece that you see that's next to it. OK, so only so only a couple of these only never too late and born to die. I'm sorry. And crash were derivatives, not derivatives, but came um, out of born to out of born to die. Uh, Dead of night as well. Dead of night was burn one. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, and that you had to burn one in order to get this one. Yep. And and do you think the end here is basically that, like, it's not like a perpetual game. It's like people who ultimately you just get to own some cool Terrell Jones art. And these are these pieces. Or do you think, like, the gamification, kind of like Lucrece is doing right now, where it's just the phases, he, the way he talks, the phases will go on forever. Like, <laughs> what, what's your, is the utility here just ultimately you just get to have some cool art in your wallet? Ah. Uh, Yes and no. I, I want that to be the end of whatever, you know, era this is. But I think once it gets to a certain point, because people are, you know, they'll ask like, oh, am I able to burn a dead of night? Or, you know, now they're going to be asking, like, am I able to burn crash to get something? Maybe later on down the line. But I don't want people to expect that while, you know, you still are burning born to die right now. So I do want the born to die lineage to end at a certain point. And then, you know, maybe people will still be able to get airdrops and stuff off of having, you know, certain pieces and stuff. But, you know, maybe at a certain point you will be able to burn, you know, the dead of nights or the crashes of the world. I always say, like, the key to this game is keeping things mysterious. You know, yeah, keep, yeah. keep anticipation out there. Give people reason to hold. You know, you don't have to just, just know that you might have some surprise like in six months yeah. and they got to hold yeah. till then. And that, that's, that's a big reason why I don't like I don't just have the. Oh, I'm going to be able to burn for this piece, this piece, or this piece. And I'm going to be able to do it here, here, and here. I want there to be like a, oh, you don't ever know when this next burn is coming. Or, oh, you don't know what, what that next, like, burn three is going to be. You don't know if you want to, like, have this crash piece or have that next one. You're going to have to, like, have a hard decision, you know? Yeah, so, so where did the Pepe Kondo idea kind of fit into this broader universe? Because re- recently you did a, the Pepe Kondo piece, you know, 200 pieces, obviously, not obviously, but there were uh, struggles with bots and, and, uh, and other things yeah. like that. But <laughs> where, where was the idea for this piece to kind of fit into the lore? Yeah, so with that and pieces like that, so this one had fit into um, the one of one that was museum date, and it was just like big on the wall in that piece. And with me and my art, like, you know, it's I'm thankful that I have like that narrative of evil in color and, you know, the different worlds that I've created. And because like before this, I would do so many different types of art and so many different pieces and none of it would necessarily relate to any of it. So I'm always able to do pieces like this Pepe Kondo piece, but it wasn't it wouldn't necessarily make sense with, you know, my evil in color universe or, you know, any of my universes. So with having this on like the back wall in that piece, it kind of made it fit into the evil and color universe. And I thought with uh, the way that Babylon was having, you know, people buy 200 editions and, you know, the one of one gets raffled off to one of them. I thought that it was really cool to have people be able to buy this edition. 
um, in order to maybe get the the museum day piece. Got it. Yes. Yeah. So, so all the buyers is one of those 200 got the one of one. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I, I remember that. And how do you think, I mean, one thing that did occur to me when I was you know trying to get ready to, to chat with you is mm-hmm. that you really have put a ton of supply out there. Like there is a lot of art, Terrell Jones art that's come out over the past year. How do you generally think about that as far as, uh, kind of, you know, everyone's just always thinking what's the ideal supply and, you know, both to keep value and to protect your investors, but also to keep people marketing your work and you know, give people art who want it. What, what's your general kind of philosophy on that? Ultimately, rather than, you know, changing, because uh, obviously like, uh, you know, Born to Die is at probably like 800 right now. I probably want to get that down to at least maybe 400-ish at a certain point, just through burns and stuff. But at the end of the day, I think that my art's great and you know if more people are able to have my art then you know rather than changing you know the number of art pieces that i have out there i'd rather just change the narrative entirely of scarcity um i think that you know great art will live you know no matter what i don't know how many pieces picasso had but like there was a lot of pieces (laughs) you know whether that be you know the one of ones or like the the prints and stuff that he had um and you know people don't complain about that so uh, hopefully I'm, I'm able to be seen. I, I'm not calling myself Picasso by any means, but, uh, you know, hopefully people are just happy to have good art. And like I said, hopefully it, it, it'll come to a point where, you know, I, I have a big enough sub, uh, or number of people that want my art that, you know, the 400 or 800 or whatever it, it's at for, you know, these pieces isn't seen as a big number. Yeah. And I think I have heard a few artists say that, that like one thing that surprised them is how there's just more demand for their art, you know, and then yeah. they just kind of keep putting it out. And in some ways it kind of builds on itself. So there are a lot of different philosophies. And I think it also, it, you have to kind of adjust it to your personality. You know, are you the, are you the type of person that wants to be out there creating a lot, building an audience, putting a lot of work out, or are you the type of person who wants to kind of be a little bit more elusive and secretive and, you know, and keep, you know, it feels like you've hit what's right for you. Yeah, it's crazy because literally, like, I'll just go through like a little bit of like my um, the number of editions and stuff. Um, so back, I forget which month this was, but I had made a hundred piece edition, um, and it was called Terry and the Hopper Play Games, and it was kind of like a derivative of uh, the Hopper Project by Shaka Blood. Um, shout out to him, and um, that one I think I had only sold like twenty five percent of the supply. And I had ended up giving away the other 75%. Um, and that was like a hundred piece edition. So that was seen as big at the time, um, apparently, and too big to sell pretty much. Um, and then once I had did my first open edition, that was the costume party piece. And that one had ended up selling 200 uh, pieces. And that was big at the time. That was like the biggest thing that I had ever sold. And I was like, okay, that's a lot of pieces sold. So, and then right after that, uh, this piece was done, um, the, the costume party was done on Halloween and um, Born to Die had came later in November. So with Born to Die, initially I was going to be happy if it just sold, you know, like a hundred editions or like, you know, once it had passed a hundred, once it was at like 200, I was like, okay, I just wanted to get past, you know, the costume party. So 201, I would be happy. But and then, you know, it had eventually got over, you know, uh, 1100 at a certain point. So then like that scene is big. So I think that really like the narrative has kept changing. And um, like I said, obviously, I want to get that supply down for Born to Die. But 
like yeah. I said, I'd, I'd rather the narrative change than like you know people's view of like you know uh, all, all that. Like I said, I, I want people's view of this thing to change rather than you know the number of additions and stuff. Uh, a few more questions. What um, what lies ahead? I mean, Terrell Jones is <laughs> in such a different place than you were a year ago. So it's amazing what can happen in a year in NFTs. What what do you think uh, a year from now will look like? <laughs> I don't know. Cause yeah, I, I didn't think that this like month, I didn't know I would be where I am right now, you know, last month. So <laughs> it's hard to plan a, a year ahead, but I think that a big goal of mine right now, at least, um, or a few big goals would be um, first to do my first solo show. Um, I still haven't done that. I'm still like kind of planning around that and thinking of different ways and different, you know, pieces or setups that I can have for that. Um, and then I definitely want to do something with an auction house. And I, I can't go too deep into it, but I'm definitely in talks. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then um, at a certain point, I'm not sure when this is going to be, so I don't want people to expect this soon or anything, but a big goal of mine has always been to have an art book. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a big collector of like prints and stuff, but I'm a huge collector of art books. I probably have like 40 right now and I'm, I'm always looking for more. So uh, I'm super inspired by artists and like, that's what I like to buy from artists. I like to get like a George Kondo book or Takashi Murakami, uh, Phil Hale, or all these different artists that are my favorite artists. I love to just have like the physical book. So that's a big goal of mine to have my own book. And, and what do your, what does your aunt think about the fact that you're selling NFTs? <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that she necessarily understands exactly what NFTs are and all that, but uh, it was really cool. Like I had my art in Times Square and it was really cool for like my mom to tell her that. And she was just like super proud of me. And that was like everything to me. I, I was I was super happy to like make her proud in that way, because um, really I, I do owe like a lot of this to her. Um, she was like the first person I'd ever saw that had like gifted hands, basically, and and pretty much told me that I could do what she was doing. So um, it, it, it's super cool to do that. Yeah, congrats on that. How awesome is that? Uh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's always fun. I feel like NFTs, like the people who are in it, where we love it, we're so religious about it. 99.9% .9 of the people in the world think we're crazy. So I'm always <laughs> kind of curious what people, what people's kind of like inner circle, especially the people who taught them art before they got into NFTs, like think of this movement, you know, because it's such a, such a yeah. tough one to understand unless you're, you're part of it. Yeah, even just like my parents and stuff, like people ask like, oh, what do they think? Or like, you know, how much do they know? And I'm like, I think that they know enough where they know that like, I'm being paid to do art digitally. But I don't think that they're like, oh, what's the floor price of good and evil? Or what's the yeah. what's this and that? Like, I don't think that they, they're that deep into it. But like, they, they know that I'm selling art digitally and I'm traveling to these random places <laughs> all of a yeah. sudden. <laughs> Yeah. Well, last question. And when you, when you and we met last week in LA, which was awesome, uh, at, at the proof event. And I, I think it was then you said, or I think it was then you said not, not on a podcast, but you said, you know, when I'm talking to other, when other artists, uh, try to be Terrell Jones, no one can, you know, only Terrell <laughs> Jones can be Terrell Jones. And I'm curious, what does it mean to be Terrell Jones? Like, what, what are you talking about there? What is this style? My sense was, it was kind of about the way you carry yourself with your art. And just because if you had to sum that up, uh, what, what would you say is that? Yeah. When I said that, what I, really mean is just we all have our own journeys we all have our own collector bases or different eyes on us and stuff copying me to a t isn't necessarily going to get you to where i am because you don't have the same eyes on you that i have of myself and i don't have the same eyes on me that you do on yourself so 
there's different things that can work for different artists. And that's always kind of a, a big advice that I give to artists is just you can always look at like because I'm, I'm super inspired like Grant or, um, you know, ACK or X copy or these different things. But I don't necessarily copy all of their moves, you know, to a T, you know, I'll just take what works, you know, in my world and kind of apply that, you know, you know, through mine. So uh, it's always good to be inspired by people or, you know, take different lessons and stuff from people. But you don't necessarily have to copy someone to a T in order to get, you know, to a same or similar place as them. Um, but yeah, I, I said like <laughs> when, when people try to be like Terrell, they hurt themselves. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're spot on. You know, I've, I've, I've started to, I've done an, a handful of, of podcasts with successful artists. And the two things that I've just noticed consistently are one is that they are their own biggest advocates. They're willing to promote their work uh, and they really believe in themselves. And then that second thing is that they're authentic and they're true to who they are, you know? And I, I've said this at the end of a lot of podcasts, you know, it's just, it's something that jumps at me when I, cause whenever I talk to successful artists is the authenticity, the self-awareness, you know, and it feels, it feels like you have that in spades. So uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Congrats on everything you've accomplished. You know, it's it's really fun to watch. I love having just bright, colorful, cool work that's got narrative to it pop up on my feed all the time. So uh, <laughs> definitely appreciate your work and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this podcast. So this is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, someone uh, someone said over Twitter, like, get Terrell on. And I was actually just thinking about <laughs> having you on the podcast. So I was like, no, that, done, let's awesome. do it. So, yeah. Definitely. That's awesome. Literally, like, like making Born to Die, uh, like, I, I was, like, binging your podcast. I, I watched, like, the Grant one, the ACK one. Like, I was, like, <laughs> up at, like, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., just, like, <laughs> working on that and, and binging that. So, no, this is awesome. Uh, awesome. Well, hopefully some... Uh, future successful artists will be getting their inspiration from, from what you've said. So, uh, appreciate that. And we'll, awesome. uh, we'll see you on Twitter, man. Awesome. All right. That is it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would like to help us out, head on over to proof.xyz and click on the reviews button at the very top and leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much. Take care.